Welcome back to the Flat Out RC Podcast, a podcast where we talk all things radio control. We're talking radio control planes, helis and drones. My name's Andrew Sill, coming to you from Land Down Under in Melbourne, Australia. Good to have you all back listening. And whilst you're here, don't forget to subscribe. Get that message out of the way. Just to remind you, if you haven't, get on board with the Flat Out RC movement. It's moving ahead in leaps and bounds. This is episode 99. Big 100th episode coming up next week. So you've got to listen. Special guest. You're going to enjoy the special guest next week. But this week's guest is also very good. A gentleman by the name of Bill Wheeler. Uh, will be joining us to talk about all things aero modelling, his life in aero modelling, and it is quite vast. So stay tuned for my chat with Bill. But before we get to that, let's have a look at what's been on my mind. So what's been on my mind uh, a lot, I just want to again remind you, Festival of Aero Modelling, big events coming up June 30th to July the 4th at Casino Airport. The Casino Model Aero Club is hosting that event. Uh, It's going to be awesome. Um, International guests are coming. We've got Martin Pickering and his uh, partner, Raquel Bellow. I'm going to say it's Bellow, not Bellot, who flies helicopters. Uh, Really good 3D heli pilot. Martin Pickering, of course, good 3D pilot. Uh, All-around good guy. I've had him on the podcast a few times. Not sure whether I'm... uh, Going to be able to get up there or not at this stage? Uh, waiting to see because I've got some. I might be overseas, but anyway, we will wait and see what is going on. But uh, the best way to find out about this event oh, I've worked out is get onto Facebook and join the Casino Model Aero Club Facebook page, and there's a whole bunch of information there um, on the event that will cover food and drinks, where you can stay. I know that the accommodation is running low. Uh, that um, at the at the caravan park that's next door to the field, uh, so you've got to be quick. But there's other motels in town that you could possibly book as well. So you've got to get in quick to see if you can get out there. There was a notice that went out. Big Four Casinos informed us they only have three by two bedroom cabins left and five by studio apartments left. Book your accommodation now. It looks like it's going to be a good one. So uh, to register. You need to get on board with the Land Down Under Aerosports um, webpage. They're just helping out using their website to uh, hold the uh, the registration details. So you go to LDU Aerosports, A-E-R-O-S-P-O-R-T-S dot com au forward slash events. LDU Aerosports dot com au forward slash events. And you'll see the details there for the Festival of Aero Modeling. That is a good one. And uh, the other one... Uh, the other event I want to talk to you about is the Bansdale and Districts Model Aero Club, their mid-May muster down here in Victoria. They always run a good event. Mid-May muster, all types flying. It's a general fun fly. Uh, and that is being held on the 15th of May. 15th of May. Hopefully the weather is going to be good. Uh, but uh, that is an event not to miss. I'm hoping to get there. I'm just Uh, As long as the weather's okay, I will be there. And I don't know whether I'm going to be there for one day or two days, but it could be two days if the weather's good. So um, all is looking good for that event. I can't wait for it. Get in and have a fly. I went for a fly. uh, When was it? A few weekends ago now. And um, 
really had a good time. I had just one of those really great days at the field. So, you know, you know, nothing beats having a good day at the field. I've worked out. Changes my mood. I feel really pumped up. Go back to work in a good mood. So uh, lots of side effects of having a good social outing, uh, like going and flying model aeroplanes. And can't wait to get back to some events. As always, can't wait to get back to events. So what's been on my mind? I've actually been thinking about buying another model. I mean, I'm always saying, don't buy more models. I've got enough. But... I sold a model. I got a space, and there's one gap in my uh, in my arsenal of model airplanes. I've got I've got a nice trailer, and I've got 100 cc planes. I've got 30 cc size planes. They're the sort of two main categories of models that I've got. And uh, I'm looking for something that I can just put in the car and take to the field, where you know, for a quick session, electric that I don't need to worry about taking the trailer because my 30 cc is. They will kind of fit. My big foot, 3D Shop Bigfoot doesn't. It's too high. My 30, my 30cc extra, my 3D Shop extra will. I don't know whether the, the new electric one is going to fit in the back, but it's a really tight squeeze and it's sort of squashing the model in a bit too much. Uh, so I've been looking at like a 60-inch kind of plane, aerobatic plane that is, because uh, that's sort of my preferred thing to try to boost my skill levels and keep on that aerobatic journey. And so I've been I've been chatting with my mate Brad Worm because he's got a sixty inch extreme flight plane and Pilot RC got a sixty seven inch which uh, Gavin Sexton says is an awesome plane as well so either of those two brands are sort of my preferred option so I've been playing around and, and I realise it's actually a really enjoyable process in planning getting a new model I haven't committed to to buying the model yet I've got a forty eight inch extreme flight extra that I've had for many years which I'm I'm going to actually put a different motor in it and run it on four cells because it's running on three cell lipo and, and like a little bit more grunt. So I've got a motor sitting there. I'll put that in the uh, into that first and see how that goes. I just find that sometimes at 48 inches, uh, it's small. I want that next size up, be a bit more stable platform. Uh, uh, and I'll probably end up taking both models to the field, the 48 inch and the 60 inch for those quick sessions. Always like to have two models with me. So thinking about it, uh, about maybe getting something. Someone's got one that they want to sell. Just yell out when you're in Victoria, um, because I may be interested depending on what you got. Um, but uh, so, yeah. So I've really been thinking about models and what I'm going to do um, as far as filling that little void. Do I really need to do it? No, not at all. The other thing I did get back is if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, you know that I crashed my. I've been crashing a lot of planes. It's really bad. I had a really good run of years of nothing. And um, I crashed my F5J glider when launching the back of my head um, because I was a chump. Um, and that's been fixed by uh, Dave at Dave's Toys for Big Big Dave Dave's Toys for Big Boys. Um, Dave Prattley, nice guy, uh, very knowledgeable when it comes to competition gliders, especially. Uh, and I've got an Explorer, Nan Explorer two or three, three, and uh, Dave imports them, and so. He happened to have a spare fuselage, but the fuselage was actually different to the fuselage that came with it. But it's the same series, but must have been like a different, slightly different version. Anyway, he had a look at the damaged fuselage and said, yeah, we need a new fuselage. I'll be able to fix it. And I said, okay, can I'll pay you to build it for me. I just don't have time anyway. He did, and he was very, very reasonable in doing that. And he did a fair bit of work because he had to modify the wing as well to be able to get the um, it to fit properly, but it fits perfectly. Uh and what I've found is the, the new fuselage is a lot lighter. I picked it up and I said, Dave, it's a lot lighter. And it's also a two-part fuselage. The nose section comes off. And he said to me, you work out your CG and you can cut 
you can cut the um the fuselage and it just because it just slots on you put some tape around it to hold it on kind of thing but it's pretty tight fit but um yeah i'm just amazed at how much lighter it is it really is lighter so just I'm interesting to see how it's going to fly. So I've got to put uh, the receiver gear in there and the battery and work out the CG and all that kind of stuff, and then um, uh, give it a go. See how see how it flies. So looking forward to getting that up in the air. Uh, I'm going to get my 30cc extra that um, electric model um, that's almost done. I'm still having lots of problems soldering big bullets. I just can't get the solder to flow. Uh, Brad Worm said, need a hotter iron. Well, I just bought another iron. But um, but anyway, I, I sort of got it done. So now it's just a matter of uh, just checking everything and uh, setting up the radio. And uh, that'll be ready to fly as well. So I'm looking forward to that. But um, yeah, I'm just on a buzz with Model 8 and Paul Flying at the moment. And I've been on the sim a lot as well. I've been getting back on the sim to brush up my skills, um, to keep a bit bit fresher. And uh, I found when I flew my, um, had a good session in the field recently, Took me four flights to get back to some confidence, um, flying aerobatics and some sort of more freestyle kind of stuff, you know, doing some spins and that kind of thing. Um, but uh, yeah, love getting on the sim. Real flight's my uh, sim of choice. Uh, we don't have as many choices anymore, but uh, real flight seems to be the ones what all my mates are on, whatever, and we get online and have a bit of a, a bit of a bill. So uh, really enjoying the hobby at the moment because I managed to get out and go for a fly. guest time my favorite part of the podcast and this week's guest is a gentleman by the name of bill wheeler uh mario shembury last week's podcast put me on to bill and uh bill i know him as an aerobatics guy as a pattern competitor um but through my chat realized he's a lot more than that uh he's been in the hobby for a long time uh used to live in melbourne um but uh has moved up to queensland um but look Let's hear from Bill. He'll tell you his story, but uh, stay tuned. Good chat with Bill Wheeler. Well, we're going back up to Queensland this week uh, for the podcast, and we have a gentleman by the name of Bill Wheeler joining me. Thanks, Bill. Nice to meet you. I've never spoken to you before, but here we are. Bruce, uh, good to talk. Now, your name came up in a previous podcast. Uh, Mario Shembri mentioned your name. I went, oh, let me get in contact with Bill. I know the name. I've seen the name. Uh, pop around Facebook and stuff like that in results for pattern flying, which we'll get into. But where did your journey in aero modeling begin? It began with my dad. He uh, he got into aero modeling just after World War II. And my earliest recollection of models with him, I was probably about three years old, and he was he built a control line Halifax. For, I don't know, the 1959 or 1960 English nationals. And that's that's my earliest recollection. The um, Were you out flying or were you just observing? No, he was running the engines up in the back garden prior to flying. He wouldn't take me with him, but he came back with a bag of bits because yeah. the, the model was a, a, a rubber-powered model that he converted to a control line. And uh, he hand carved the crew, and I've still got a few of those. But um, he then built a small Corsair in a week and came third or something. So he was he was the biggest influence. That uh, you know, on, on getting stuck into aero modeling, and I I count my uh, 
commencement, if you like, at the age of 10, when he built me my own model. I've done a little bit of flying with him before then. And uh, but my start date for me is 10 years old when I'd, I'd got my own control line model. What year are we talking? This is in the 60s, would it be? or? Uh, yeah, 1966. Okay. Now, question for you, because mm. you're from the UK. I've, yep. I've got some old magazines that came from the UK in, um, in the 60s and stuff, and it seemed that when people went flying down at the local park or wherever they went flying, people used to dress up. It was like people wore suits to go out to fly model aeroplanes. Is that true? Did your dad dress up in a suit to go and fly model aeroplanes? I, I know what you mean. It was... I remember my granddad, for example, he was always in suit trousers and, uh, mm. you know, a shirt and braces, even when he was house decorating. But I, I do know the sort of thing you mean, but I think that's, uh, you know, maybe a sort of few years older than my dad. Yeah, yeah, okay. Not quite a British generation, but a little bit, say, five or ten-year age gap. Yeah. So... In around that mid sixties kind of mark, when you got into the control line, what ended up after control line? How did you get into radio control? Push button radio control in the early sixties, single channel, yeah, uh, and gave it away in favour of control line when he wanted to get me into it. We went along to the local radio club in the early seventies, just in time to see a guy running down the road after his trainer that decided to go its own way. Yeah. On the way home, I said to him, are we getting into radio? He said, no, not now we're not. <laughs> 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 Through what he'd just seen. So um, it wasn't until 77 that I got married and that was it. My father-in-law then said, oh, I might give this a go. I've seen all this and I've got this magazine. And that was it. He and I... Um, started building radio model. He unfortunately passed away six months later, but um, I kept going and uh, been doing it ever since. My dad then looked back in a probably 1980. He said, why is everybody flying radio and not me? And so he made the extra step and took up radio as well. And at that point in time when you got into the radio control, how reliable was the gear? We were flying um, 27 megahertz in England on six different channels. And um, it's, it seemed pretty reliable to me, having not known any different. And uh, when we came to Australia, I got my 27 gear converted to 29 meg. And then um, got some 35 when it was time to renew. About 36, sorry. Yeah. So when did you come to Australia? What brought you to Australia? 33. Um, what brought us to Australia? My mother-in-law remarried. And although he was English, he'd, he'd spent some time in the Australian Army in the late 50s and early 60s. He'd gone back to England, studied nursing, met my mother-in-law, they got married and wife and I said, yeah, we'll go to Australia. So we came out to um, initially South Australia, uh, where I met a guy called Brian Horrocks of the uh, Constellation Club. 
and probably within three months of being in Australia, I started work at Commonwealth Aircraft on the uh, A10 Wimera, which subsequently got cancelled. So you brought your gear with you from the UK? I did. And it was converted by um, Glenn Matthews, used to work at the model shop behind Manhattan in, uh, oh, from Heath, not Heathmont. But uh, he and he, yeah, he and Robin Gray. Robin Gray used to sort of run the shop, and Glenn was the radio tech that converted my radio gear for me. Okay, and uh, did you have to bring a lot of models with you, or did you build stuff here? Yeah, I built here. I, I did manage to squeeze out two or three. I bought my control line, well, two of my control line models. I finished my sort of control line career there with uh, an Avro Shackleton with um, four DC savers in. And so I dragged that across. Most of the others I left in England. Um, but yeah, since then I've been, I've always built my own models. And uh, it was the same here. Okay. So you're in Australia now, you're in South Australia, you hunt down the local flying club and you get involved. Uh, what was the flying scene like back then? I think we really, I, we, yeah, we really left South Australia before um, our all of our gear arrived from England, and um, I spent some time at the Constellation Field there, but most of my spare time at uh, RAF Edinburgh, helping Brian Horrocks with the local air cadets. And they, they had a little bit of modeling going on. So we um, would do a little bit of building and free flight glide some models off a local mound at the field. So it was good. Okay. And then you move to where? To Melbourne or where did you go from? Yeah, South- to Melbourne. We came. To, it was the job scene that brought me to Melbourne. The only things in, in um, South Australia was automotive or defense. And although I'd worked in defence, I said, sorry, mate, I'm an Australian citizen. And um, it was a contract job at Zach Commonwealth Aircraft, working on the trainer there. But I, we came to Melbourne and the rest is history. We've been here, well, was that a fisherman's beach? <laughs> yeah, it was, absolutely. Yeah. So you were surrounded by aircraft, really? Yeah, absolutely. My... Um, my working career started at Hawker Silly Dynamics on satellites, and uh, they had a connection with aircraft in the past as um, manufacturing propellers, a big balancing pit down the end of the factory. So, uh, yeah, aviation's been a big part of my life, even from little. You know, with my dad into aero modeling, we would go to air shows at uh, Farnborough or uh, Henlow, which was just up the road, and Shuttleworth Trust and later Duxford were only an hour away. So uh, it was good to get out and about. See, iconic names for air shows, you know, like oh you, yeah, it's Absolutely. amazing. All those names that go, yeah, yeah, heard of all them. Yeah. You know, um, okay, so what did you start flying when you were here in Australia? What kind of models? I guess. Scale for me was the the go, and when I joined Lilydale in '84, 
um, I was heavily influenced by Barry James, who was um, a well-known scale modeler, plus Hayden Hampson and John Monkman and one or two others there. So I built little SE5 and and uh, Mick Reeves' Fournier quarter scale that was really nice to fly. And it just sort of plodded along from there. I um, Most of my models were scale, although I wasn't competing in any way. And then um, when my son got to about eight, I thought maybe we should get involved in this. And he uh, picked it up. He built a Flare Hannibal. It's, uh, he painted in fluoro colors <laughs> and, and then flew in standoff scale, much to the chagrin of um, one or two of the scale guys at the time. But he was, you know, he was a 12, 13 year old taking part, and there weren't very many of those. And he, he stuck with it until he discovered motorbikes and headed off in a different direction. For a couple of years that always happens did you ever have that temptation to stray away from aero modeling in your younger years it was um no my my dad made it quite clear at one point that i wouldn't be getting a motorbike so so i thought well i'll stick with what i know then and, and cut up balsa and stunk the house out with dope well my mum always said to uh, her three boys me being the middle child and always said that if uh, if any of you got a motorbike I'd take to it with an axe. Then my brother bought a Ducati motorbike a surprise her and said look what I've got and she couldn't take it to, to it with an axe because it was too expensive. Then my younger brother went and got a motorbike license and rode a scooter and now I've got a motorbike license with a dirt bike and so she's lost what? that uh, she lost that argument. <laughs> Well, that's I'm, I'm the oldest of six, mm. and the bottom two are boys. So having my dad said to me, you know, you're not you're not getting a motorbike, you're not joining the air force. You're going to get out there and get a job. My youngest brother didn't get that memo. Yeah, and he he came home at eighteen and said, I've got a motorbike, Dad, yeah. and you're guarantor. Yeah, and he sort of <laughs> didn't didn't know what to do. Oh, it's the youngest then, child, though. They get away with with blue murder. Murder, absolutely. And then the next one up, Brian disappeared one Sunday lunchtime and came back home on a BMW. <laughs> so uh, I thought, well, I've, I'm not too old for this now. I've missed, missed it somewhere. But, but my son went road racing. He said he wanted a, a motorbike. And we said, oh, look, there's, there's cars and trucks on the road. Have a dirt bike. And he did that for a year or so before he went road racing. And uh, I, I did stop aero modeling for a few years to to help him along and uh, go and enjoy it with him. But so uh, we both you know, came back to, or he got, he got back into it, and I just picked it up at a faster rate again. Okay. That's, that's interesting. Son gets back into it and drags you back in as well. What so I know you as a pattern flyer, um, yes, you know, competing in F3A. Tell me about your journey in pattern flying. How did you, you know, when did you get into it? How did you get into it? Daniel's my son, he and I were flying scale, and we would go along to Shepparton and these sports scale events around Melbourne. And then, not too many years ago, they introduced gyros. and. Daniel just spat the dummy and said, look, 
as far as I'm concerned, that's cheating. It's not, it's not about you flying a model with your own skills anymore. So he, uh, he bought a patent plane and started throwing it around and wanted to get into, uh, that side of competition. So I've always enjoyed flying with him. So I thought, well, I'll give this a go and, and see where it leads us. And five years and a few models later, I'm still in sportsman. So I've learned a lot. I no longer panic when things go awry. I can just get myself out of it and uh, make it look like I know what I'm doing. But um, I enjoy the the social side and the camaraderie, if you like, of any scale or, or F3A competition scene rather than being out and out competitive like uh, Daniel is. I mean, in the years I've been in sportsman, he's gone all the way through to F3A. That's, uh, that's interesting. Like, it's a good comment that you make. It's it's almost like, because it's a very small community, really, that it's like you're all on the same team, but you're competing against each other, even though you're on the same team. And uh, it's, yeah, it's what I'm finding, especially this year, I think post-COVID is people are really enjoying getting back to going to an event, whether it be a competition or a fun fly, something like that, and having that weekend away, like-minded individuals, and call it a competition, but um, there seems to be this enthusiasm for those kind of events at the moment. And again, it's yeah, it's not just about the flying; it's the social aspect as well. Um, I think as well, which, we, is, which is um, good to see. What, that's one thing that um, has surprised me coming up to Queensland is that uh, being a bit bigger and a bit more spread out, the uh, F3A scene up here is very, very good. The, the guys, the age group, if you like, is probably 15 or 20 years younger than Victoria. The competitions are two one day events at field because they are that much further apart. There's, you know, they're not like Melbourne clubs. They're actually Queensland clubs and you're going to places for me like Toowoomba, which is four hours down the road or the, the clubs around Brisbane are two to two and a half, three hours down the road. So uh, it's it usually ends up, well, they're all a weekend event. And even here in Tinkan Bay, uh, we have a event coming up early June, and that's a two-day event. So there's that weekend of bonding, having a bit of fun, because there's boys will be boys mm-hmm. out, um, you know, away when the wife's not there to what keep an arm. And um so they we sit and eat chips and rubbish basically for for the evening and enjoy ourselves. That's what we do now. You when yeah. did you move up to Queensland? Um we've been here now since January last year. Um in twenty Goodness, 2020, my wife was diagnosed with a um, vocal cord dysfunction and they spent a week in hospital. And they said to her, look, you really need uh, a humid climate. So we 
we spoke about coming up here for holidays during Melbourne's winter, if you like. And uh, next thing, after a few weeks, she's showing me houses. The only place we knew up here was Bay because we were up here at the in 2019 for the Tram Chasman and APA Masters in, in Queensland. And uh, she's showing me these houses in Bay, And I said, are you sure you want to do this? So um, the decision was made. We had a word with the kids. Our daughter said, look, I'm pretty settled and happy here. And our son said, well, I've been working away, uh, working at home since COVID broke out. I'll have a chat with my company and see what they can do. And by sheer fluke, he lives over our back fence. <laughs> well, of course, there's a good flying club at Tin Cam Bay, isn't there? I've driven, I've been past it. It's a lovely field. It it's, really is. Yeah, it's right. Um, it's right next door to the main road as you go into Tin Cam Bay, isn't it? It's for me. It's I go up to the end of the street and turn left, and the flying field's four minutes. Or I turn right and go to the beach and it's five minutes. I'm just sitting there when you're explaining, you know, how your wife found a house in Tin Bay. I could just imagine you saying, you sure about this? Because And you'd already made your mind up going, yeah, the flying <laughs> club's just down the road. This would be perfect. This is, keep, keep on going, wife. I like the way that you're talking. <laughs> That's it. And, you know, you, you have to put up with the weather. Yeah. It's, well, uh, I, I went up to Tin Bay uh 2000. 19 it was. I was up at Tinkan Bay, did a sailing race from Tinkan Bay to Harvey Bay on a trailer sailing that boat. That's this week. Oh, is it? Well, that's right. It would be, yes. And um, I got food poisoning at the Tinkan Bay Marina. Um, <laughs> so it's very memorable. At least the toilet block at the marina was very memorable for me. Um, yeah. I remember what I had, the rare rump. And I think it was probably too much on the rare side, but um, great place. It was beautiful. And uh, and sailing up through the strait there along Fraser Island there was absolutely awesome. But uh, I got eaten alive by the bugs. How do you go with all the uh, the, the bugs in summertime? Well, the yeah, the midges uh, are what I think Tintan Bay is famous for. Mm. And um, dawn and dusk, uh, oh, they just do your head in. But, um, you know, after a year of walking around in shorts and a little bit of a suntan, they're not so much of a problem. So you get thin, skin gets a little bit thicker and uh, they do have trouble. But it's, it's just part of it. It's, I suppose you would get used to it. It took, a, I was still scratching two, two weeks after I got home. But, uh, but I enjoyed it. So, and the Tinkan Bay Club, they're pretty active. I think there's, I always see events popping up at, at the Tinkan Bay Club. They are. We, um, I hadn't been here three months, and the then secretary said, hey, do you want to be secretary at the AGM? <laughs> okay. So um, they, have, they have a pretty full calendar all year. And... Um, the, there's one, there's one a month. There's two helicomps a year. There's two APA events, uh, QPA events, sorry. IMAC visit. The, the scale association here is called uh, the Southern Cross Air Force. They have a couple of events. We have our own scale event. And in the past two years, the Bundaberg Club 
have come down and run their scale event at Tinkan Bay. Okay. So um, it's pretty full on all through the year for, you know, a club of maybe 57, I think. And, and only half of them actively fly. It's, uh, it's pretty good. So you're finding, like coming from Melbourne, you're finding you're actually getting a lot more flying in up in Queensland versus living in the more southern states? To say yes, but there are weeds in my garden I've never seen before. Yeah. And they are prolific. So you, 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 you think I'm going flying every day of the week, but you find you miss a couple of days in the garden and you've got some sort of Jurassic something poking oh, really? its head up yeah. that needs to be uh, dug up. So, yeah, I try and get out twice a week. Did you get a lot of that rain that uh, went through Queensland? We did. We had um, just over half a metre in 24 hours. Oh, gee. How did um, the field end up? The field's good because it's it slopes from from the road, main road. It does slope downhill um, towards that part of the bay. And uh, there was no issues with flooding or being overly soggy. So uh, we were fortunate there. And the, the field's owned by the council, so they follow up to say, hey, you guys are all right, we haven't got to worry about anything. And uh, go out and check it. None of the floors got wet. Unlike um, places like Coolum, who were uh, up to their roof in, in water. Yeah, it was pretty bad. How much? Well, how far away is Coolum from, from, from you, from Tinkan Bay? It's not that far, is it? No, it's about an hour down the road. Yeah, okay. Just the other side of Noosa from me. Well, a friend of mine is uh, actually the friend that I went sailing with who owned the boat. He, he's a Queen, originally a Queensland, and he's bought a place in uh, Mount Coulomb. So I said, "Great, my retirement's all sorted." But is the Coulomb Club moving, or they? Is there something? Did I get some news about one of the clubs up there having to shut yeah, down? Yeah, there's um, there, there's there's issues for the Coulomb Club rather than with them, but for the Coulomb Club. And I think the the proposed um, expansion of the Sunshine Coast Airport, they are uh, they're on the, the end of a little industrial area, and uh, I think they're just feeling the squeeze from development that's as much right. as anything else. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's what somebody else told me that the the buildings are getting a bit too close and. Um, been a few complaints and all that kind of stuff, so they might need to shut down, which is not that good for them. You might get a few more members no. up at Tinkan Bay. Yeah, and interestingly, I was reading a little report from um, the Gympie Regional Council that was done a couple of years ago that recognises Tinkan Bay as the place to fly model aeroplanes. Under their, um, they did a section on hard to. Um, locate i think clubs and aero modeling was one of them this is in the greater gimpy region and um think Bay came out quite favorable as being a good size a good location easy to get to and um no problem to deal with okay so when you go down to the field nowadays what are you what are you flying is it mainly 
pattern or mixture of things? It's because I tend to I tend to um, need to keep practicing. I want to get out of sportsman. <laughs> it's uh, it's uh, it's great, but I it's time to move on. So um, I'm putting in a bit of effort this year to uh, get out into advanced. So that's yeah, that's a Sunday. Midweek, I, I tend to fly scale because that's still my my preferred thing. I've got a couple of not real, yeah, just little scale models. Daniel's got into iMac now, and he's handed me a two and a half meter yak with a DA80 in it that um stuff with. So that'll need some practice flights before too long. But um. It's it's all adventure and it's all good. Grandson now, Bailey's son is now into it. He got his wings at Christmas, so that's um, he's the three generations um, in the field. That's really good to see. Really good to see. Now, Absolutely. Uh, let's go through some of the planes that you currently have in your hangar. Okay. So the F three A Vanquish. That's my uh, current model. It's the cheap end, and I don't think it's any available anymore. But, no, um, they don't make them anymore. Nice stream flight. Yeah. Nice, yeah, nice pattern plane. I built. Um, there was a couple of the guys in Melbourne built a thing called a Neo Stage out of RC Japan um, a couple of years ago, and as a biplane, I thought. It, it really does look quite elegant. So um, I bought the kit and have built that. That's ready to cover. And now I've got my shed up. That's my next job. And uh, I want to go away from the standard F3A color schemes to do my own thing and make it look quite different. Mm. The um, side is a I'm doing an engine change in my quarter scale SE5. There's, uh, it had a Super Tiger 2500 in it that I'm dropping out, taking out and putting a Saito 180 in. Um, the, I've just got plans to do a quarter scale Avro 504 and a Saito three cylinder radial to go into that. So building wise, I need to get my finger out and do something, but I'm enjoying it. We're going down to this um, casino. Oh, yeah, Festival of um, Modeling. Fest yeah, it's been moved out to the end of June. And I've built a small control line model for that just to have a play, a little half CC, frog something or other. That'd be great. And uh, I gave my diesel engines to Daniel, and he's expanded that collection. So, uh, I've nicked one of his to put in this, this small model. Um, gliding's still a thing. I mean, we, we fly down at um, Carlo Sambolo at Rainbow Beach, which is a beautiful spot flying out over the ocean in a big sand bowl, basically, at the top of the cliffs. Oh, that'd be good. Oh, it's magnificent. What kind of glider um, are you using for that? Um, a little RCME plan, a 
to the IX2, I think it's called, two meter carbon boom fuse large, plus an old Hobby King um, two meter electric model that I've taken the motor out and put a bit of weight in the front, right. and a, a Sunbird composite model when it gets a bit windier. So the fleet's looking good. The um, the building's taking longer than it should. But, uh, <laughs> That's the usual story, though. It is, but I, I I I bought myself a laser cutter a couple of years ago. Yeah, and um, I tried to get away from tracing plans and then transferring that tracing to the wood, which I'm I've kitted a quarter scale chipmunk to build and uh, that was a bit of a long-handed process doing it that way and i found that i can scan a part of a plan and deport it directly into the laser cutting software and uh, that sped the process up quite a bit is the accuracy still the same you yes you do have and I, I put a little 100 mil line on my my photocopier so that I've got something to check against when I um, import the JPEGs into into Lightburn. The, um, I run a little business on the side as well, producing paint masks and, and the like, and that's doing quite nicely. So that slows my building down a bit. But um, life's good, absolutely. Yeah, okay. Uh, plans. What models do you still want to be able to build? What's on the bucket list? Okay, so the quarter scale chipmunk by um, oh goodness, I've forgotten his name. English chap. I've had that plan about ten years. That should have been built a long time ago. The David Boddington Avro Five Hundred Four K. Um, I'm modifying the wing to something a little bit more scale. For that, uh, finished the Neo stage because I'm, I'm thoroughly enjoying F3A. And um, the, I've always liked the Curtis Kitty Hawk. And I've got plans for the 82 inch that I'd like to do up as um, one of the desert um, schemes from WW2. And that's probably it. I think that would keep me busy for a little while. How much detail are you putting into these scar models? As much as I can. The um, also got a 3D printer a couple of, well, a few months before Christmas. And um, with a little bit of effort in some 3D software called Blender, I'm sure I'll be able to punch out some a bit more speed, scale detail than I or better detail than I do currently, you know, carving up bits of wood and plastic and putting them into a model. I try to fill the copy up a little bit. And what about things like weathering and things like that? Weathering. My um, my sister-in-law, when I first got married, bought me a box of pastels, oil pastels. And I still have them 45 years later. <laughs> and I, I, I use them exclusively for uh, 
weathering. And I've been, there's a group on Facebook about weathered models. And uh, I've done a little bit of research on how they go work their way back to bare metal, if you like, on plastic kits. And they, they start at the bottom and work up. So uh, they'll, they'll, they'll spray on some silver, then some, I think it's hair lacquer, and then some yellow to um, simulate chromate, and then hair lacquer, and then the final paint. And they, they work it back with a toothbrush or a scraper and get some magnificent finishes for you know a better weathered look. And uh, I'll be giving that a go on. Uh, I've got a Mars Magister that's coming up to be painted. I'll give that a go on, perhaps on some of that. So it sounds like you've you've been pretty prolific in building then over over the years. I used to have a list on the back of my shed door, and and up to this is when I lived in Baronia, so this is about 2015. I've managed one a year. In that, um, since 77, and that's probably since 2015, that's probably slowed down a little bit with moving house and then moving up here. Mm. But, um, the hardest thing is to, for me, is to stay away from ARS. <laughs> There's no, again, for me, I find no connection with the model. You know, there's, I, I don't see anything that I've done sitting on the runway, just a pile of money. Whereas something you've built, like this Neo stage, um, once it's ready for its first flight, it will be as nerve wracking as a scale model because you fall into building it, finishing it hoping that all the glue's right, everything's stuck down properly, everything's bolted up properly, you know, before it chips off and does its thing. Did that philosophy get passed down to your son at all? No. no. See, that's, <laughs> see I, 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 the, reason, the reason why I ask that, because it's, I always say that ARFs were developed to address a, a need in the market, which was, ah, oh, we spent hours building this plane and then I went and crashed it. Uh, and, you know, your son of course, grew up in a different era where he's probably surrounded by ARS. And, and, yeah. and you know, even as the generations progress and I look at my kids, they just don't have it. In, oh, look, my son's not too, too bad. Like he got, he's got into building um, dioramas, you know, like almost like train model kind of scenery. And, he, and he's got really got a talent for it. And he's only done one, but it's just amazing what he's been able to achieve. Um, but... Uh, yeah, a lot of the, I think as generations go on, we don't have enough time or patience to go through the process of building something like a model aircraft from uh, sticks of balsa, <laughs> yeah, like uh, you know you grew up with. Yeah, I, I totally agree because Daniel Daniel will get a brand new F three A model, and he is every bit as nervous as me on that first flight or an iMac model, and he's every bit as nervous, again, as something I've built with something he's bought. Not not the, and I guess it's maybe the fear of it will go in pear shape, but um, he's, he's starting to build more, 
he he won a Peter Goldsmith um, the large scale event up here in Jinkan Bay last year. So he's quietly nailing that together in his shed, and um, he's wanting to build a large glider to take to Gerildery next year. And um, to that end, I thought, well, maybe I should build something. And I picked a, a Brazilian design called a Flamingo, which is absolutely gorgeous. But um, yeah, we'll get them down and maybe get down to Gerildery this time next year. With a few uh, Queenslanders and um, oh, all the gals and Tyson Dodd just, just made the Well, trip. that's right. It was Tyson that got stuck into Daniel. Now you've got to do this. Yeah. And um, I remember I I took up gliding and going to Camperdown in the early 2000s. And when Daniel finished his rose ace, and I said, Come on, we've got, you've got to come to glide, um, Camperdown and fly a glider. Nah, not going to do it. It's not going to happen. It's boring as batshit. When he got there, and he threw his um his prelude into the wind five minutes later he was hook line and sinker mm. you know, so different so relaxing quiet just in the breeze uh having fun and yeah. uh, he's as this is bigger part of his aero modeling as is uh f3a Mm. Well, I, I always say that I love my two passions are aerobatics and um, gliding, and I always say because I get bored really easily when I fly. Sometimes, like flying around in circuits all day, you know, doesn't really entertain me. It just it's just me short attention span. But you'd think that something like gliding might bore me, but to me, gliding is about staying aloft and observing the environment and watching that plane, waiting for for that thermal to come along or trying to think where the thermal might be or where it's moved or um, and even the slope soaring thing I really like as well uh, because, you know, you can get quite aerobatic with, with slope soaring as well and you as long as the wind's blowing, you've got lift. So, um, yeah, I've never been to Camperdown though. I, like I've got lots of friends that have been and they just say it's a great place to go. The trip, Easter, Easter's really good for... Um, a mix of people that go there and some of the guys from your Yarra Valley Club where we were members prior to coming to Queensland uh, go then. And uh, I think Australia Day weekend is the Barnes group. Yeah. So we'll get camper down on mass. And it's again, it's, it's great. Mm. Beautiful views. And... Um, Really, really, really nice. You know what's well, interesting? Whilst you've been talking, I've had a look up this Neo Stage kit that you've been referring to. It actually looks really, really nice. Now, as we know, most pattern models now are composite models. Yeah. Uh, but this one is a fully built up uh, kind of model. And it, is. it looks exactly like a composite model in a kind of way. Um and it doesn't seem overly expensive to buy the kit, does it? I think um, I got mine oh, two years ago now, and it was $1,700 landed. Oh, was it? Okay. Oh, actually, sorry. I'm having a look now. Uh, 129,000 yen. It's come from Japan. Flight. Here in the F3A scene in, in Victoria. Yeah. And um, it's, 
it looks right as a, as a model airplane. Yeah. Yeah, you know when you look at the when you look at a model, you go, yeah, that's going to be fine. It'll fly, no problem. Mm. How did you go with um, things like cows and and that? Did you have to buy the cows or did you have to make them? They were part of the kit: uh, the cow, the canopy, and the top wing fairing are mm. uh, carbon fiber and they're almost one sheet carbon fiber thick and uh, very nicely made. The the kit is beautifully cut and uh, goes together really really well. The um, I did. Zone was damaged, and I did um, get onto RC Japan to ask if they would be offering spares for canopies and cows, and they do. So uh, we'll see how we go. I've got, got a Plettenberg uh, F3A motor to put in it, so uh, it should go quite nicely. Well, that's uh, I didn't know that uh, you could buy a built-up kit for a uh, for a pattern model. So learn something new every day. There you go. Uh, okay. So it sounds like uh, you've been practicing a fair bit. When you go for, for your pattern flying, that is, when you're going out there flying pattern and you're practicing, do you have a regime or is there a focus? You know, How do you plan what you're going to be practicing on or just fly the sequence? I do fly the sequence. Uh, may need to, to get used to it. And um, the, I think the hardest part, is for me is just consistency. The the nice thing about uh, flying at Yarra Valley in Victoria was that the club always had a crosswind, and uh, you got used to to that. And it really is good for control of rudder and trying to keep thing a certain distance away from you. It builds in that um, discipline. And uh, here. We tend to fly into headwinds. So now there's keeping everything centered and symmetrical, which was easier in a crosswind than it is into a headwind or in a tailwind when you're going the other way. So uh, the challenges are good. And I find, I have found that after flying an F3A model, Scam models are terrible. <laughs> it's true. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I, I, I can, I've had a, a little uh, Sebart Mythos um, pattern plane, and yeah. I used to always say it's cheating. It just you know, people would come to go, gee, you you fly really well, and I go, it's not me, it's that plane. It makes me look good. And and yeah. when you've flown something like that, then you go and fly a scale plane, you just go, oh yeah, it uh, doesn't fly as well as it does it. No, that's yeah. it and that we've, we've got a scale event here this weekend and i'm taking a little old flare puppeteer yeah and uh and a corsair and they could both do with a lot of work <laughs> with respect to is the balance where it should be you know to spend the hours saying i'm like a pattern player and they would probably fly a bit better but um, see patterns ruined you it has. They are quite different. Yeah, yeah. No, patterns ruined you definitely. You become fussy now because, you know, it doesn't fly that well. But maybe you just need to suck it up and just go and fly the scale exactly. model. Exactly. Because, you know yeah. what, imagine the real ones, how well they flew compared to a modern-day 
apply, and that probably went the same. Maybe a tiger moth. What's your favourite biplane? Like if I say uh, biplane, scale planes we're talking here. Like what's what, what's the one that sort of comes yeah. to mind first as being the one you like? The uh, Hawk Demon. Hawk Demon. I always think I'm going to have a look at it's a It's a 1930s two-seat. Uh, my my passion oh, yeah, in, yeah. Scale, in scale is the the 1930s RAF aircraft, the yeah. world's best flying club. Yeah. And... Uh, you know, but they're all they're all open radial engines, which uh, probably is why you don't see so many of them. The detail that goes into or getting the detail to build a dummy radial engine. You just need to get a mocky. Mm. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but the the Hawker Demons, I think, my favourite um, biplane. That is uh, it is a nice plane. I always say Tiger Moths for me when it comes to scale planes because I just think they translate well into. You know, when when they're in flight, they look like a proper tiger moth flying around. But, uh, yeah, those in the gypsy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. Well, there you have it. Well, we're almost there. We're up to that final question, the question that everybody can't wait to hear the answer to. And it could be a tricky one for you because you've been in the game for quite a long time, Bill. And that is, what has been your all-time favourite model that you have owned? Well, it's it's got to be my Dennis Bryant quarter scale FE5 because it's it's flown one lap of honour around Yarra Valley some years ago. It's the best part of old. How, how old was that? Just that just dropped out. What did you say? Thirty years. Thirty years. Okay. Yeah, and I still haven't fully flown it. Really? You build something, and afraid to admit this, I became frightened of it. Hmm. The the amount of effort that you put into, you know, 70 odd metal fittings, um, cutting everything out, putting it all together, the fuselage was laced up with eyelets and the like. And um how to to do its thing because uh, I mean the, one of the things that stopped me flying it was with the Super Tiger in it, the needle valve was about two inches behind the propeller. Oh, yeah. And I, I was at Shepparton when Gary Sunderland lost his finger twiddling a Super Tiger on a big First World War by plane. Mm. And um, I thought, no, I, I, that stopped me flying it further. And it's as I say, I've, I've run in a Sato 180, which has got the needle valve at the back of the engine, and I'm now ready to fly the the SE5 here. Yeah. So um, I'm hoping to have that certified by tin can base scale, or yeah, the scale day they're running on behalf of Bundaberg in June. Nice aeroplane. Yeah, yeah, it sounds like it. it. Does sound like it. Well, Bill, it's been a pleasure to have a chat with you. As a, thank you. You know, a former Melbourneian, and uh, good to put uh, a voice to a name because we don't have our cameras on. And um, all the best for your future endeavours in aero modelling. And uh, same to you. And I hope um, whatever I've told you is of use. Been a pleasure. About to leave already.
packing Come with me, I'm not really asking We'll get away to a place where we don't know Another episode of the Flat Out RC podcast done and dusted. Big thank you to Bill Wheeler for joining me, spending the time to have a chat with me about his life in aero modelling. That's what I love to hear. People's story about how they got how they got started. That first question I always ask is, how did you get started in the hobby? Is, is one of my favourite questions to ask uh, because it's just so intriguing to see you know people's journey. And often there's some commonality between the answers, but... Uh, but it's always interesting to see how people started out in the hobby. And uh, Bill G's been doing it for a long time as well. And I admire people that have stayed with it for so long. So well done, Bill. Now, don't forget to subscribe to all the flat out activity. I've launched the um, the video of the crash investigation of my turbine jet. Uh, so go and have a look. A bit of fun. I'll just warn you now. If you haven't seen it already, I'm just having fun, people. Okay. Get onto the Flat Out RC YouTube channel. I'll sit there, subscribe to it. Check out some of our recent videos if you haven't already because they are a lot of fun. Uh, the last two have been pretty, pretty good. So uh, subscribe to the Instagram page, subscribe to the Flat Out RC Facebook page, and of course, this podcast. And guess what? We will be back next week for the 100th episode of the Flat Out RC podcast. Big milestone achieved. Come and join me next week. Talk to you then.